You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. They feel guilty. All caregivers feel guilty. If they're with them all the time, they feel like they might not be doing the best thing to help them, or they get angry with the one they're caring for and frustrated and resented, and then they feel guilty about that. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, this is Presidential Relatives Week on Now I've Heard Everything. On Monday, we heard my 1989 conversation with Maureen Reagan, the eldest daughter of Ronald Reagan. On Wednesday, Ed Nixon, the youngest brother of Richard Nixon. And today, Rosalind Carter, wife of 39th President Jimmy Carter. Now, the Carters were married in 1946. Both of them came from close-knit families in which caring for the elderly was a responsibility taken seriously. Now, after leaving the White House, both Carters devoted themselves to various volunteer activities, including Mrs. Carter's attention to America's caregivers, the men and women who take care of the sick and the elderly. In 1994, she wrote a book for caregivers called Helping Yourself Help Others, a book filled with resources for those who are caregivers. Of course, now, given that both she and her husband are in their twilight years, her words in this interview seem particularly poignant. So here now from 1994, Rosalind Carter. I'm involved with an institute at our local college um, that was supposed to deal with mental health issues because the college had a small endowment for mental health, um, a mental health program, and that's what I've worked with for years. But since I have another mental health program at the Carter Center, we started working with those who care for people with mental illnesses, and it quickly expanded to be uh, for caregivers across the spectrum of need. And um, we did a survey uh, with using students calling on family caregivers and, and professional caregivers. And the information that we learned about caregivers was so valuable that I thought that uh, I would write the book and hopefully help those caregivers who feel lonely and isolated and frustrated and lost in the maze of bureaucracy and so forth. And sadly, many of them do feel that way, don't they? They do. They do. And unappreciated. I had never, I don't think I've ever really seen a book like this before uh, that is specifically aimed at those those unnamed uh, countless millions of people who must take care of someone. That's right. Someone who um, is physically or mentally handicapped or elderly or just someone like me um, who feels responsible for my mother, who is almost 89, and I can't be at home with her all the time. And so um, that's a responsibility, and I've, I've, re- I've realized since this study that I'm a caregiver, too. And so many people in my generation, now we have kids to take care of. That's right. And men, many of whom are coming back home after they graduate from high school because they can't find a job. And we have elderly parents to take care of. We're that, we're that sandwich generation, so we're care, caregivers both ways. That's right. That's right. And there's so few resources in a formal, organized way for us to turn to at times. I think in this book I tried to bring all of those together. Mm-hmm. Um, I use my own experiences because my father died when I was 13, and he was sick for a while. And then the next year my mother's mother died, and she was the only child. And my granddaddy came to live with us and lived to be 95. And so I use my experiences, and then I use experiences of the caregivers we interviewed to, to show the problems, and and then hopefully I have some really practical solutions or helps for those who give care. Plus, we did a lot of research um, to see uh, uh, 
what other people who have really worked on the issue have said about it and, and some helps from them. So I have a lot of information in 50 pages of appendices with uh, all kinds of self-help groups and uh, hotlines and uh, information about all of the organizations that deal with caregiving or with the Ill, the conditions like Alzheimer's and cancer and multiple sclerosis, almost any condition that someone would be experiencing, I have the information about how to get in touch with the organization and how to find support groups in the community and if there's not one, how to start one because that's really important for caregivers to be involved with others in the same kind of situation so they don't feel so lonely and like they're the only person in the world. Well, I, I do have to say situation. that, that I, uh, the first thing I thought of was your book the other day when uh, Ronald Reagan revealed that he is in the early, early stages of Alzheimer's. That's I mean, right. Bless his heart. I mean, how many countless others this week and this month and this year will get that same diagnosis from their doctor and have no idea what to do about it? That's right. And my heart goes out to them. And I've met a lot of caregivers of those who have Alzheimer's disease in this study. And it's tragic. It's a tragic disease. Plus, it strikes. Uh, it, it's it's not an immediate uh, a death sentence. It, it it can be. It can go on for years and years. Over a long period of time. And you might have to be a caregiver for many many years. That's right. That's right. How do you how do you how do people keep up their energy, their enthusiasm, their stamina? Just the well, burnout among which is that feeling of being totally and completely overwhelmed and exhausted, and that's very common among caregivers. And what. Uh, point that I make in my book is that the um, caregiver must take care of herself or himself if it happens to be a man. Usually it's a woman. Um, because the quality of care diminishes if the caregiver is not well. And a lots of times the caregiver becomes the casualty or a casualty um, but because uh, it is um, it is a devastating position to be in if with no help. So I hope I have a lot of practical ideas for help. You've got a lot of little nuances in here that I had not even thought about because I have thankfully not yet been in the role of caregiver. But you've got a, a, a story in here, a, a gentleman with, uh, with uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't remember what, uh, what illness he had, but his wife had turned into his caregiver. And now she said that she is more of a mother to him as a son than a wife to a husband. And, right. uh, and, and I hadn't realized, well, of course, that would be the logical. And, and they don't have a, a marriage anymore. They have a, a whole other kind of relationship. She, actually, she's been taking care of him for 20 years. <sighs> what, what must that do? She must have enormous strength. That's right. That's right. She would have to have. And, but, you know, a lot of people feel um, trapped in that situation. And this is this just something that fell on me and and um, here I am and uh, I'm the one responsible and I'm the one that has to do this and get so caught up in caring for the loved one that they neglect themselves. That That is what burnout is. That is so common. And um, so what, what I advise people to do or let them know how important it is from all of these surveys, all of these people we've interviewed, so important to make some time for themselves and to have some kind of outlet so that they can get the mind off of of the one they're caring for all the time. Another thing that happens to caregivers is no, even if they spend 24 hours a day with the one they're caring for, um, they feel guilty. All caregivers feel guilty. They, if they, If they're with them all the time, they feel like they might not be doing the best thing to help them or they get angry with the one they're caring for and frustrated and resent it and then they feel guilty about that 
And what I hope people who, who are in that situation will know is that that is normal, that all caregivers feel that way, and that uh, I think something would definitely be wrong if they didn't have those feelings every once in a while. Well, but there's a lot of aspects to this that can cause anger and resentment right. and and rage if you got if you've got one child who is caring for an elderly parent and her siblings are scattered across the country and she happens to be the one that lives in the same town as mom or dad and That's now right. suddenly she's saddled with this and all the other relatives they see her maybe once or twice a year but she's that's the right. one who's got all the day-to-day responsibility and and a uh, lots of times in families that's a real problem whether others will if, so, if there's someone that will take care of them is taking care of them that's good you know then, then i don't have to that's, yeah that's right well how that's do you right. get the others involved um well i suggest have some suggestions in the book and one way is to have family conferences just let the um siblings in the family or the the other family members um, know that they must, either, if they can't come to be with them to discuss this situation, that make to have a conference telephone call or something, just to let the other family members know what's going on. And um, I know one woman said, "Well, if they would listen to me, I wouldn't have this problem." <laughs> but I think it's really important for for. Um, a caregiver to just insist that the other family members know what's going on. After this short break, Rosalind Carter has advice for caregivers who aren't getting much help from siblings. There are now two new ways to listen to Now I've Heard Everything. Full episodes are now on YouTube. Just search for Now I've Heard Everything. And if you're on TikTok, watch for the promos we post about new episodes. Tap the link at the bottom of the video to hear the full episode. Now back to my 1994 conversation with Rosalind Carter. Most of the time, um, we've learned that the amount of help a caregiver um, gets depends on how much that caregiver asks for. And so often, um, if if someone, a, a family member is away from home um, and finds out the situation um, closer, um, they will send money, or they will hire. Uh, in, in one instance, I know they hired a gerontologist to go by once a week to to just give advice, uh, to tell the the family caregiver where the support groups were in the community. There are so many ways that someone who is away from home can help. But there's one other point I want to make because a lot of caregivers don't want you to think that everything is all bad because they do find some fulfillment in it. Um, the fact that they're doing something that's really important for their loved one means a lot to them. And uh, I know that I got in trouble once talking to um, a group of caregivers about how terrible a situation it was. It was frustrating and it's okay to be mad and all. And then one of them spoke up and said, you didn't say anything about it being rewarding. And my father wouldn't be alive today if it weren't for me. And so I, it's really important, I think, to acknowledge that it is fulfilling. It's something to be proud of, um, and that caregivers should be appreciated and praised because they make, you know, personal sacrifices. So many personal sacrifices. Uh, my my parents took in my grandparents, my mother's parents, for a couple of years when I was in high school, and I remember my mother did it without complaint. It was, it was to her. I think she felt very, very helpful. But I also remember it was about the time I got my driver's license. That was the first time my mother let me go to the grocery store with a fistful of cash and the grocery list to do the week's shopping. And I felt 
really responsible. And I felt like I was really contributing something. A good feeling. Oh, yeah. That's that's what happens because you were kind of a caregiver. And also... Um, when when there is someone that has to be in the family, like an elderly person or one who's hand sick, um, it affects the whole family. It affects the whole family. I I know that from personal experiences with my father dying and then my grandfather coming to live with us. Yeah, it's well. How do you how do you manage to keep that? Well, first of all, it used to be it used to be easier, even as recently as uh, 25 years ago, when it happened with my grandparents, and because uh, you know, we all lived within a 10 or 15 mile radius of each other. But supposing you get a call in the middle of the night, and it's a it's some hospital, you know, 3,000 miles away, saying, um, "Gee, Mr. Thompson, your father is, uh, you know, he's going to require some long term care. What do you want to do about it?" I know it happens all the time because most people are thrust into caregiving into this role with no preparation. My daughter-in-law's father just died. He was about 75, I think, and her mother's older than uh, than he was. And she lives four hours away. It's a four-hour drive. And, and it does not know what she's going to do, um, how she's going to take care of, be able to take care of her mother. Um, I think that's why it's so important for people to know that there are things available in the community. Uh, there are organizations that will help. You just have to ask them. I know in our study, there was one woman taking care of her grandmother. She had just gotten out of college, and she had to come home to take care of her grandmother, who had raised her. Her grandmother had Alzheimer's disease. And she was just devastated and, and just totally tied down. She couldn't do anything. And um, one day was watching television and saw an advertisement for... Uh, an Alzheimer's organization, just a public service announcement, called the number at home and got all kinds of information. And now she started a support group for uh, people who are caring for someone with Alzheimer's and has even gotten a grant to build a facil- an adult daycare facility. So so um, all the, the really good things that can happen if people know where to go to ask and find that information. Now, if your caregiving role is the result of maybe a catastrophic accident, uh, a few years ago I interviewed a a man, a a woman, she'd fallen down the stairs uh, while getting up for a drink of water at night. One minute she's perfectly normal. Uh, Less than a minute later she's a quadriplegic. Now, Now her husband has been thrust into the role. In that particular case, is it likely that somebody at the hospital is going to be able to refer him to this group, this group, this group? Um... I'm not sure whether somebody, sometimes the hospital will have stroke clubs or heart mm-hmm. families or those kind of organizations. I don't know whether um, somebody could refer her, but there are all kinds of organizations that can help. And I has, as I said, I have a list of them in that in the book. Because I think that's what stymies a lot of people. They just don't know where to turn. That's exactly right. That's what we found when we did our survey. We found that what people wanted more than anything was information about the illness, what to expect from it, because there's not always a really close relationship between the family caregiver and the professional that's caring for that patient. Doctors and social workers and so forth are trained to work with the patient. And I had one social worker who said, um, I have 108 case, a caseload of 108, and how can I deal, how can I care for the patient and also spend time with the family caregiver? Um, so it it's a a difficult situation sometimes, but there are people that you can go to. There are, there are uh, private clinical social workers that you can have just a consultation with that can give you information. For elderly people, there are gerontologists. 
um, that can that can give you information, meet with you once a week, or if you have a loved one in an, uh, another community, the the gerontologist or a social worker can check on them regularly for you. Uh, it costs a little bit um, sometimes, does. but everything does. <laughs> but there are also support groups in those communities that um, will check on people. There's a National Federation of um, Interfaith Volunteer Caregivers in 45 states, and they do home visits. They go, they take people to the doctor. They go shopping for them. And, you know, there are all kinds of uh, help available if people know where to find it. And I think people who know someone who's a caregiver should also realize that sometimes all they need is a pat on the back and a well done. That's exactly right. We had one woman in our survey say, um, um, when, when friends of my family call, they always ask about my loved one. They don't ever say, how are you getting along? That was so beautiful. <laughs> I felt really sorry for her when she said that. Well, as of the date we're posting this podcast, Rosalind Carter is 96. Her husband, Jimmy, will be 99 in a couple of weeks. Now, you can get a copy of Helping Yourself Help Others by Rosalind Carter by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. We may earn an Amazon commission if you make a purchase. Now, heardeverything.com is where you'll also hear my 1987 interview with Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. I thought we'd be bored to death with nothing to do, but it has not worked out that way. Well, we have almost as full and challenging and enjoyable a life now as we've ever had. So we haven't retired by any means, but we've just shifted our emphasis. And my 1987 interview with former presidential press secretary and his wife, Jim and Sarah Brady. Does it make you self-conscious, all the attention that you get? At times it does. I don't mind it, but you never have a moment to yourself. See that fat guy over there in the wheelchair? Let me tell you his story. And then they're on you like white on rice. And don't forget, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything every Monday, every Wednesday, and every Friday. And you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including now YouTube. And thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, not only was he the star of two popular TV series in the 60s and early 70s, but he was also the original Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz, my 1994 conversation with Buddy Ebsen. We were sitting in a, in a bar, three guys at another table, and one guy kept looking over at me, looking at me like <laughs> Finally, he staggered over me. He says, say pitiful, pitiful, will you? <laughs> That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.